Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to the Habitat Podcast, the podcast for wildlife habitat management, hunting strategy, and land stewardship. And now, your host, Jared Van Heeves. Welcome to the Habitat Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Van Heeves, and we are here to become better habitat managers. We have a great episode for you here tonight, guys. We have Mr. Dudley Phelps from Mossy Oak. So Dudley runs the Native Nursery down there um, and is a very intelligent forester, and we pick his brain on all things herbicides. So if you were on our social media, Instagram and Facebook, uh, yesterday and the day before, you saw we were asking questions to our listeners about what some common herbicide questions were. We talked to Dudley about some of the common questions he gets when he answers the phone there at Mossy Oak. And then we talk about different tree and food plot herbicide uh, meanings, applications, rates, sprayer calibration, all things herbicides. Get your notepads out. It's going to be a good one. And Dudley's just an awesome guy. Had a great time chatting with him on the phone. Uh, avid fisherman, hunter, just good out old boy outdoorsman like the rest of us and just really enjoyed the conversation with him so guys we have dudley phelps from mossy oak on talking all things herbicides coming up next so i would love if all the listeners who have not left us a five-star review yet on spotify or itunes or the podcast app the little purple icon on your iphone to please go ahead and do so we really need your help on that uh, it's very simple. There's a link below this episode. You hit the details. It'll show you the notes in this episode and all the stuff we talk about. There's a link right there that'll let you leave a review 
on this podcast, or you can do it right on the app you're listening to. And what that does, guys, it keeps us on top of the charts um, as the number one Habitat-related podcast out there. So we got there because of you guys, and we're going to continue to work hard, bring you guys the best content, best free content we can uh, as often as possible once a week. So if you can and you haven't done it yet, I really urge you to go on there and and leave us a a five-star review and write something nice. Those are the best, and I will get a hold of you and send you a free 5-inch Habitat podcast decal. Now, you can also send me an email at info at habitatpodcast.com if you left a review, and I'll get you that way too. Uh, iTunes does something weird with the username, and you can't always see what your actual name is when you leave the review. So info at habitatpodcast.com will help me get you a free decal probably even faster. So... I want to thank everybody who's already left us one. We're going to start doing some prize drawings for people who have left us reviews. So get your name in there. Get us that email. And uh, good things are to come. And just thank you very much, guys. You help us rise to the top, and we're going to keep going for you. I also want to thank uh, all of our land plan customers. We just wrapped up another land plan with Mr. Steve McConville from northern Michigan. Steve really had, you know, a a great time walking your place. You and you and Art together up there um, had a great time going over your plan here tonight with you. So just thanks for for trusting in us and all of our land plan clients for trusting in us. We will have some special incentives coming up for current and past land plan clients here soon. I'm sorry, land land plan clients here soon. Some exclusives, some exclusive. Uh, discounts maybe, prizes, etc. for our clients. Steve, thanks again. And uh, for all our other land plan clients, thank you very much. We look forward to continuing to help you guys out um, with your property and your, and your questions. So now I'd like to, you know, just real quick talk about HabitatPodcast.com. We have all of our media up there, all of our podcasts up there. If you guys haven't been to the website, please check it out. Um, gear, you know, our hats and shirts and decals are up there. Uh, our journal entries or blog posts are up there. There's a quick reference herbicide guide. You'll hear us talk about that in this podcast episode. Uh, if your head's kind of spinning from all these different herbicides, uh, Al Tomeshko, our buddy Al, created a Habitat Podcast Herbicide Quick Reference Guide on the website. I'm also going to link that in the show notes below. You can print that out. You can keep it on your phone, screenshot it. That'll answer a lot of the basic questions that you might have in herbicides when you're on your property um, this summer and this fall getting ready for those food plots. So just a bunch of good information up at HabitatPodcast.com. Uh, tell your friends, check it out, and uh, we just really appreciate the support from you guys, the listeners, and, and thanks for coming back once again. I want to thank uh, Michigan Whitetail Pursuit this week. Guys, they have uh, the On the Road episodes what they call them, MWP on the road. Season one has launched. Uh, it's Michigan Whitetail Pursuit, but we go, most of us go out of state hunting, so we film those trips too. There's a mountain lion hunt, a moose hunt, a bunch of whitetail hunts, velvet whitetail hunt, um, even a mountain goat on there, bear. All this is free hunting videos to watch if you're bored at work or, or whatever. Um, Michigan Whitetail Pursuit, miwhitetailpursuit.com. On the Road Season 1. Check it out and uh, just appreciate your support. As they help support the podcast, we like to help support them. I'd also like to thank Packer Max Cultipackers, Killer Food Plots, 
Realtree United Country Land Pro, Lake States Realty and Auction, and Morse Nursery. All right, everybody, hope you're ready. We have Mr. Dudley Phelps from Mossy Oak talking all things herbicide. It's getting low. We're going we're gonna to give it a shot. Yeah, well, I, I, I wish you luck. You know, get out there and, and fishing in the surf. That's, that's pretty awesome. I've been down uh, Florida fishing a few times. One of my favorite things to do down there. So I love it. And the, my kids are at an age, well, my son, my, my daughters are not as interested in it, but uh, he's wanting to go. Normally, I would disappear on my kayak on the bay side and uh, go try and catch a bunch of specks and reds, but I, I thought it would be more fun uh, for all the nieces and nephews to try and land it. You know, the, the fish that I try to get away from when I'm fishing, <laughs> we're going to try to catch one. So sure. We'll see. We probably won't catch one now that I'm now that we're trying. Oh, I, be, I bet you catch a record now. You know, I'm just saying... <laughs> I'm just saying, the last time I went fishing in Florida, which was December, in the winter, I ended up catching a um, 43-inch redfish. Holy cow. That's a big old bull. Yeah, and we fought it for an hour. It was wrapped around some sunken pilings underwater. We got in the water. We got out of the water. We, you know... I knew we were probably going to lose the fish, so we tried whatever we could to get it loose, and finally uh, came loose and took off out into the, the bay, so we followed it out there in the boat and ended up landing it on an oyster bar, got out of the boat and landed the fish on an oyster bar. Holy cow. Yeah, that's a huge bull. That's that's what they said. I didn't really know too much, but they said if you want one, that you know, 30 to 40 inches, you got to go to Louisiana or, you know, over that way to fish the the bottom of the Mississippi, and then not over in Florida. Yeah, Florida they don't get that big, apparently. Uh, they cruise the, uh, in the wintertime, though. They kind of they kind of do that. And you okay. can get lucky and catch one. So I hope I catch a cobia, but uh, it's probably going to be a probably going to be a shark. But <laughs> I, I've been seeing all these you know million dollar sport fishers going up and down the beach. Uh, oh, you know about a about a three quarters of a mile out, you know, where the water kind of changes color a little bit. And uh, right now that's what they're doing. They're just sight fishing for cobia. Oh, wow. So, that would be fun. I can't cast like I can't cast that far, but sometimes they'll venture close. But that's one of my favorite fish in the world to eat, so that'd be awesome if we could get one. And they're a riot to catch, right? Yeah, they are. I've, I've I've actually only caught one in my life, but uh, okay. you said yours was a 43-inch bull red. Mine was a 43-pound lemon fish, a.k.a. cobia. Gotcha. So, Heck, yeah. Anyway, I really enjoy it. Well, we are rocking and rolling here, Doug. We have, uh, you know, the Habitat podcast here. We talk about all things habitat management. Uh, for landowners and people to learn from. And I just want to tell the listeners, we have Mr. Dudley Phelps from uh, Mossy Oak on today. How are you doing? I'm glad to be here. Doing great. I'm down here with my family at the beach, taking a week off. But, uh, you know, you know how us habitat nerds are. We're always trying to find something fun to get into. I've been uh, 
took a bike ride this morning, and there's about a, I'm near Pensacola Beach, there's about a 15-mile stretch they call the Gulf Islands National Seashore, and there's not a structure, a building, nothing in sight for like 15 miles up and down the beach. Uh, it's beautiful, and uh, I'm an oak nerd, so um, I kind of took a little detour, and uh, there's some, well, they're live oaks, sand live oaks, but they're just real scrubby, and, uh, you know, I don't get to see them in their natural habitat very often, so I kind of had to nerd out and go <laughs> go look at some up close. <laughs> but I'm glad to be back talking to you guys about, you know, what we like to talk about. Yeah, well, well, thanks for, for, you know, taking some time on your vacation here. Um, I know Mr. Bobby Cole uh, said we need to talk to you, and shoot, that was about two years ago. I just looked it up, and uh, so you've been on my list of guys to call for a long time. Well, I'm glad I finally made the cut. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir, with with, uh, with flying colors. So I, I appreciate uh you hopping on. I guess tell everybody a little bit, a little bit about who you are, where you're from, what you do for a living, and then we'll get right into the uh, nitty gritty on on herbicides here. All right. Yeah. So um, I was just a normal guy. Went to normal college and uh, got a degree in photography. Uh, really struggled in school and kind of ended up getting stuck in the real world and. Uh, you know, the whole time I'm just like a lot of us. I, all I think about is the weekend and getting out to go hunting and stuff. And uh, so we had some family land, still do, in central Mississippi. Uh, my dad slowly pieced it together, and it was uh, just a recreational tract of land. Uh, back when you could afford to buy land, it's getting tougher now. <laughs> but uh, we, we pieced all that together. And uh, he unfortunately died when I was still in high school and uh, kind of left me and my granddad in, in charge of the farm. Um, and then, you know, so I was only 17 years old. So um, thankfully he taught me how to get get on the tractor and do some stuff. And But uh, so anyway, it just kind of forced me to get on the fast track to learning how to manage that place. And I quickly... Uh, grew my interest. Um, I, I, about that time, I discovered uh, the Quality Deer Management Association and just some of those other conservation organizations. Um, I was obsessing over reading uh, these PhD professors' publications and what they had to, you know, what they had to say about you know timber management, you know, habitat management, deer, turkey, quail. Uh, just a sponge, I think, like a lot of us are. Um, and I was just kind of stuck in the working world and not happy, and I just said, you know what, I want to I want to do this for a living. So uh, at the age of probably early 30s, I went back to school to get a master's in forestry. Wow. Um, and uh, so literally I'm, I'm in a dendrology class, uh, which is, is my strong point. I'm not good at a lot of things, but I'm really good at identifying trees. Um, one of the students happened to be working for Mossy Oak, a younger guy named Blake Hamilton, and he was like, you need to come check this place out. You know, I, I see uh, how good you're doing in this class. Uh, you need to come see what I'm doing 
uh, with Mossy Oak. And so uh, he took me out to the nursery, and we uh, I just fell in love with it. And I literally uh, worked there on the side while I was in college and, uh, well, you know, pursuing my master's. And uh, I've been there 15 years now. So uh, it's been a fun ride, and uh, most of what I do every day is uh, answer the phone, reply to emails, help people that call in, uh, just help them with their questions, help them uh, decide what to what to put on their clover, what to you know what trees to order based on where they are, you know that kind of stuff. So we we also have our own podcast. It's called the Gamekeeper Podcast. Uh, we talk about a lot of similar topics, and we've we've had a lot of fun with it. But that's about the gist of it. Glad to be here. Yeah, we're we're glad to have you. And just for anybody who's not clear, that's the Mossy Oak Native Nurseries, correct? Correct. Yep. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I mean, good for you for going back and chasing your dream and and falling into a good opportunity there based on you being – you know, a great student. That's good for you. That's that's really cool. Well, you know, life is short, and um, you just need to do what you enjoy. And uh, you know, I've got a lot of friends that don't work in the hunting industry that uh, get to do all of the same stuff and uh, are really good at it because there's so many resources out there, like this podcast, for example. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I enjoy my job, but I've got friends that are, you know, in sales and, you know, they're dentists. They love their job too, but they love, you know, living for the weekend. <laughs> and that's, that's kind of what we all do these days. Yeah, it sure is. It sure is. I can, I can relate there. I know, uh, obviously this is my passion has been for a long time and, and it's, it's really cool to be able to do something like this, uh, you know, where you can hopefully turn your passion into into a lifestyle and, and live it every day uh, instead yeah, of living for the weekend, it's, it's you know. A, it's, our, it's our therapy. It sure is. Well, great, great background. Um, I know when Bobby Cole said to get you on, uh, sounds like we got the right guy. So I appreciate you hopping on, Dud. I think um, I think next on the list, and, and I got some of this information on some of the stuff you covered on your podcast, some great topics. I want to hit the basic stuff from herbicides real quick, and then we're going to dive into sure. maybe some common common things that you hear as the guy answering the phone every day, and then we have some common questions that some of our listeners have had that, that I have listed here. So I guess when we're talking talking herbicides, where does one normally start? Are you normally seeing this in the food plot world versus the tree world? Yeah. Um, you know, there's a, obviously a lot of herbicide applications in uh, the forestry side of things. You know, like if you're trying to get pine trees established or, uh, well, anything for that matter. You know, you can aerial apply, aerially apply herbicides or apply them from the ground from like a skitter. But, um, yeah, most of what we talk about uh, is habitat-related stuff. Like, you know, I've got this this coming up in my clover. Um, or, you know, what do, I, what do I do before I plant beans or corn? Um, for my deer and turkeys, that kind of thing. We we do a lot of that, and and then you know from in your when you're in the woods and you're trying to create good bedding cover and things like that, you you also have that where you you know if you want to safely 
remove. Uh, well, you don't really remove them. You just kill them in place. You can do the old hack and squirt to get rid of some unwanted trees. Say you got some elms that you'd rather be thick weeds or something. You know, you can go and do that. But there's there's a ton of uh, different applications for herbicides to improve, you know, improve your place. Sure, sure. And I know we should probably get get this out of the way. Uh, we even had one of our Facebook guys, Trey, say, are you just going to say read the label the whole time? Read the label? <laughs> read the label. <laughs> and I know well, that uh, it's, it's important to read the label, is it not? <laughs> it, it really is. And it is funny that Trey said that because um, you, you kind of have to be like that these days. It's It's Almost unfortunate, but, uh, you know, if you do something wrong, one, it, it could be my responsibility. Um, and I've actually had a couple of instances where people accuse me of giving, giving them the wrong recommendation. And so that's why we always just overemphasize reading the label. We're just trying to cover ourselves. But um, it's it's also, you know, um, these things are no joke, you know. Um, you need to wear, wear the gear. Uh, you, you do need to read the label and figure uh, understand the per acre rate. A lot of people frequently want to spray the spot treatment rate on a large area because uh, it's easier to do, you know. What do I mix? You know, do I put you know, 23 ounces in my tank and I'm good, you know, well, how how much acreage is that tank going to cover when you're done spraying, you know? Um, and you, if you don't follow the label, and uh, we, we joke about it being gloves, you know, glove, 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 out of the jug. Well, I think I'll use two gloves on this size field, you know. You can't do that. Um, you know, if you put too much of something out, uh, you may not be able to grow. You know, it may more or less sterilize the soil. Sure. Um, and these are, you know, they can be harmful substances when used wrong. So, yeah, it's important. So, yeah, we can joke about saying read the label, but yes, read the dang label. All right. Well, there it is from the man himself. Read the label, guys. I know... Uh, I know a lot of us have smaller properties, right? So maybe it is just easier to glug glug in there versus a farmer who's doing, you know, 120 acre field or, or something like that. Um, but at the same time, like a, a lot of people don't calibrate their sprayers. It seems another guy, uh, Hunter Johnson on Facebook, he says, I don't, I don't know why people don't take 10 minutes to calibrate their sprayers. And uh, right, you know, any, any and some of that. Go ahead. Some of that calibration. Some of that calibration can can get uh, confusing. I, I'm easily confused, um, and the way I've done the way I've done it is I just fill my sprayer with water. It it may burn an hour of your Sunday afternoon, but fill the thing up with water and go out to one of your fields. And uh, if you've got Onyx or you know some kind of mapping software, you can uh, or gosh, you can pace it off or. Uh, if you're a golfer or you've got your hunting range finder, you can figure out how big of an area it is um, and just drive until it runs out or drive until you're done with your field and you know 
okay, well, this field is one acre, and it used 20 gallons, and I was in second gear going kind of fast. And, you know, that's not precision agriculture, but it's pretty close. And, it, you know, it, it that works to get close enough to find out how much you're you know how much you can cover and and then there's your there's your base so if somebody posts some kind of big formula looking thing in magazine article um if that works for your brain then then go for it but my brain struggles with that kind of stuff so just use common sense fill it up with water and spray it over an acre and see how many gallons you spray and go from there Yep. I mean, kind of that's similar to what I do. I don't full out calibrate either. I do what you said. And then if you have, you know, only half, if you have half the tank left, you can go over it a second time. And maybe you don't need to do that in the future and you, you can figure it out. But at least you're, you're kind of erring on the side of caution and, and, you know, you know how much, how many ounces per, per gallon or per acre. Um, you can, that's a good, good advice on how to figure that out. Right, and now there's even some, you know, four-wheeler type SUV type sprayers that uh, will have two separate tanks, one for water and one for the actual herbicide, and you can turn a dial. Um, our boy Bobby Cole has one from Chapin, um, and it works really good. We've we've played around with it, you know, using something inert, um, and uh, it's it's really really close to the real deal. So that that's some uh, product that you can look into trying if you're not into calibrating. They've got all kinds of cool stuff these days. Well, that sounds like it might be above my pay grade, but that sounds pretty cool. <laughs> that, that's awesome. Yeah, I don't. I haven't seen that yet. I, I need to look into that. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so I guess let's let's do this. When, when you're talking to your customers and and they're calling in. Um, what are some of the most common questions you get? You know, are you talking grass versus a broadleaf and, and telling people what the definition of that is? Or Yeah, um, probably the most common question I get, um, and, and a lot of our listeners might know this, but, uh, right. you know, just what do I do in my clover? That's that's kind of the first and easiest uh way to get started if, if you've never sprayed before um, everybody needs to grow some uh, especially some perennial white clover um, and oftentimes in the summer you'll have uh, well you'll you'll have cool season grasses that come up uh, in the fall and winter and they want to keep and if you want to keep them from reseeding in the late spring uh, in the south, we have ryegrass up north. Uh, fescue is probably one of the main ones we're not wanting in our clover fields. Um, and so right when everything, you know how in the spring when everything just really gets going and starts flushing hard, uh, the soils are warming up, um, that's a good time to get rid of your cool season grasses in clover. And you can... Uh, Use a uh, grass-selective herbicide like uh, clethodim or sethoxidim, uh, uh, select or post are the actual trade names. Um, and you can also use the generics. Um, but those are probably the most commonly used herbicides. And the most common question I get is, is what, what do I do, need to clean up my clover? 
That's a that's a great point. I know uh, I sprayed mine this this spring with Clef, so that that makes sense. Now, when you're working on clover, and it comes to broadleafs, which just you know regular what people call weed, I guess, not a grass. Um, mm-hmm. Are you spraying something different? Like are you spraying like an IMOX, or are you just mowing? Well. You can you can do either, and uh, I I tend to you know and everybody has their opinion. I I tend to try to I don't I don't spray unless I feel like I have to. Um, okay. And so I yeah I'm usually going to mow first. Uh, I'm a I like some broadleaf leaves in my plot. Everybody varies. Some people like them clean. You know like. I don't I don't fool with all the weeds in my yard. I just mow. <laughs> but some uh, people do different things. I kind of like a few thistles here and there for the butterflies and and whatnot. But uh, you know, everybody's got a different viewpoint on that. But if you're trying to clean up your broad leaves, it, it seems like IMOX is the is the way to go. Um, and that's a, a Mazamox. Uh, I think the trade name is Raptor. Um, okay. And I think most folks use, don't quote me on this, again, read the label. I think it's about eight ounces per acre that most folks use. Um, oh, or maybe wow. it's, uh, no, I said the wrong thing. I usually use about eight ounces of cleft and about four ounces of IMOX um, wow. if you're going to try to target grasses and broad leaves. Um, but uh, a lot of folks used to use 2,4-DB. AKA Buterac. Um and you just don't see a lot of that anymore. It, it it's really good at killing broad leaves in legumes. But um you just you, you hear reports of people having some uh, like damage where it dings it a little too hard. Clover is not as picky, but other broadleaf legumes like soybeans or peas, it can really set them back. Uh, especially if you're mixing it with a grass selective and using crop oil and it gets and it's really hot outside. I think the label says if it gets over 90. I've I've seen some uh, bad interaction. I guess you could say even below 90 degrees. So I just don't I don't even bother with 240B anymore. Okay. Um, so I'm going straight with that IMOX, which that's actually a generic uh, name. Um, Imox, I believe, is actually an aquatic herbicide with with a Mazamox in it. Um, Raptor's the actual label product, but uh, okay, there's just so many generics out there. It can it can get rather daunting, um, and uh, I don't know how you guys are with mentioning company names and things like that but I like to uh, I found a company uh, I have no affiliation with them I don't even know them but uh, a company called Keystone Pest Solutions yep. um, I can google them and look them, look up any herbicide I want to know about and it's, it's just a really easy website to follow um you can look up all the labels and, and read about them, um, and it'll it'll even suggest you could, for example, look up IMOX, and it's going to also suggest other herbicides that have the same active ingredient. 
And so you can research, you know, price shop and do all of that. So that, that's been really helpful, helpful for me. Great, great suggestion there. Um, we, we don't have any affiliation with them either. And, and yeah, we're, we're no problem mentioning companies, uh, on here. And that's, that's actually where I get a lot of my more specialty herbicides, you know, like a Simazine or, or something like that, or Atrazine or whatever, something like that, where you know, the local tractor supplier or whatever won't have it here. So, um, a yeah. lot of times your local yeah. folks don't have a good selection. Yeah. And, um, I mean, you can, you can often order through them and tell them what you want, um, whatever works best for you. But that uh, Keystone Pest is a good place to, to read and learn. And um, I support them, too. I, they've helped me a lot. So I like it when companies are, are uh, you know, have lots of helpful information available. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, that's that's great. I think that's a pretty good, pretty good summary on, on how to treat your clover, whether you got cool season grasses or, or uh, broadleaf weeds in there. Um, here's a quick question while we're still on clover. Can you mix certain herbicides like a, like a IMOX or a 2,4-DB um, and, and I think I know you can mix two together and run them, but have you ever mixed a herbicide with a like a foliar fertilizer? Do you absolutely okay? And does the yeah. herbicide need to be sprayed first um, at all, or can you run them together without a problem? Well, you know, our friend the label will tell you to do a jar <laughs> test where you put some in a jar and shake it around, and you know, sometimes you can have like a chemical reaction where it may make the phosphate in the fertilizer, uh, like, crystallize and fall out to the bottom. I know uh, some of the foliar fertilizers that have calcium nitrate, they won't mix with phosphates and whatnot. So you can always do a jar test. Most of the, most of the companies that produce the foliar feeds will know, and you can just contact them and ask. Sure. Um, I know I've used them with success. Um, and then, you know, they, you can even go by AMS, which is ammonium sulfate, which uh, you can add that to your water, um, and it conditions your water. Um, and then you can add your surfactant and then your, then your herbicide. Um, and, you again, the label will tell you what order to add what to the water because you can – uh, you know, most of the time you want to condition your water first. But, uh, yeah, so um, a lot of those foliar fertilizer, you can, you can just mix it together. And so it will actually help the weeds uptake the herbicide because they're getting a meal and it's making them happy. And most herbicides work better when the plant is happy. And at the same time, you're also fertilizing your your non-target, you know, your your actual crop right. by feeding it. So most of the time, yeah, save yourself a trip. Save some awesome. compaction on your food plot and make one pass instead of multiple passes. Just find out if you can mix them together. Yeah, no, that makes sense to me. I, I had a question. That was from one of our, our – um, consulting clients have that question so i i appreciate that and i think um 
I guess what made me think about that was the fact of, of using like a non-selective herbicide like glyphosate slash trade name Roundup on on seeds um, before they sprout. Uh, normally that's always quote unquote okay to do because there's no green to kill. But there's actually seen some tests recently. Uh, my friend Al, my friend Danny, both have seen that. It seems the germination is affected by by doing that. So I was curious on what you can mix, what you what you can't mix. Maybe that's a whole topic in itself. Yeah. Um, and so you said a couple of your buddies have seen a negative response to spraying gly over the top of like a top dressed seed. Yes, sir. I you know I, I can believe that. Um, they're you know, they're they're in you know, not all seeds have you know, some seeds have a hard, a thick shell, some have a soft. But, you know, as soon as that seed is contacting moisture, the inside of it could tech you know, it could be going to work and, and starting to grow. Um, so it makes a lot of sense. Um I do that with brassicas. Um I'm I'm really dying to get one of those roller crimpers. I don't know. Sure. Y'all discuss one of those yet. I really want to try one, but I do that. Uh, I've, I've always referred to it as poor man's no-till with my yep. brassicas every year. So um, I always uh, frequent. Uh, sometimes I will spray two weeks in advance and then come back with my seed and my fertilizer and put that out. And then and I always get a really good stand doing that. But sometimes... I've actually thrown the seed out and then sprayed and and just killed the grass. And I, I've been pretty successful with that, too. Yep. But I've always thought, like, eh, that is kind of odd uh, to be spraying on top of that viable seed sitting on the seed surface. But um, yeah. and, I personally have not seen any negative results, but I, I right. haven't done it enough. Yeah, and, and to say it doesn't work, we're not saying that. Um, it definitely works. I've done it before too, just like you're saying. I've done it many times. It's very, it's very, it's a very good option when you're short on time, right? And I yeah. think that uh, if you still get germination. This is just a couple of tests that they were running, and and that's what we have for results so far. And maybe we'll throw that out to the listeners and see if they can comment on yeah, that some more information. Yeah, I'd like to hear more. I'd like to hear more on that too. And that's what's so cool about, you know, you can read all these publications where they do all these tests, but uh, I kind of like both. I like yeah. I like uh, learning from the books, and I also like learning by just discussing things with people. You know, the forums, the Facebook groups, all that good stuff. You can learn so much from all of that. You are not kidding. That's how this whole podcast was born, you know, just out of learning and out of necessity and just, yeah, I'm, <laughs> I feel like we're uh, brothers from another mother. That's for sure. <laughs> I get it. Yeah. All right. So that's, that's how we treat clover. You can treat it with uh, a clethodum or a grass out or something along those lines to get your cool season grasses out. Then you have the the broadleaf uh, selective herbicides. If you want to kill the weeds or you can mow it. Um Clover, after that, with a, a foliar fertilizer, maybe some other fertilizer before a good rain, you're probably looking pretty good. Um, yeah, and you may get some warm season stuff come up in there, too, that you need to spray. Uh, 
foxtail in the south can be a problem uh, in the summer. Um, and that, you can know, you in the south, that? so that's, uh, you can, but it, it, uh, it usually just comes up everywhere. That's one of those species that just yeah. wants to come up everywhere. But, uh, yeah, you know, things like Johnson grass will come up in little spots and, and you can spot spray that. Um, but that's, you know, you just, one thing I, I like to remind everybody is don't just assume you need to spray and go spray. You, you need to identify the problem first. Sure. And, uh, and, and identify the species too. Um, but, because, uh, you know, for example, IMOX may not work on everything. Uh, so identify what your major problem is first. And then start reading labels and, and seeing what is on that label. You know, what will it take out? Um, I love it. So, and, and no I, point in buying and spraying a bunch of chemicals and putting them out unless sure. you know what you're trying to get rid of. Sure. Now, great advice. You know, we're all trying to spray less, you know, these days and, and do more no-till. And soil health is always on top of our mind. Um, as we go dive deeper down this habitat management nerd hole that we're in, and and it's uh, I love it, and I think um, I think you you mentioned something there, the foxtail. Uh, it's that, or maybe some Johnson grass or something else is coming up in your clover. Have you ever used one of those herbicide wipers? Um, hold it high above your clover and and kind of wipe it as you go over it. I, I never have. I've, I've always wanted one, particularly like uh, we have a, a natural gas pipeline that runs through my family land. Sure. And uh, I've always wanted to use it there because we always get Johnson grass that pops up. And then the then the gas company comes in and uh, they're trying to do their thing, but they'll scalp the ground instead of mowing it kind of high. That always makes me so mad. <laughs> but... Um, you know, they don't, they, I don't want to say any bad things about them, but they're more concerned with their thing, of course. not my habitat. And so they scalp the ground. I assume they're trying to get uproot little baby trees and stuff, but um, I've always wanted to beat them. And, and <laughs> I think that that wiper, if I could go do the weed wiper and get rid of all that Johnson grass that comes up every year, because it's always, it grows much faster. Right. And, uh, yeah, but I, I think that would be a great option. And uh, they have really improved over the years. And typically home make them, you know, with PVC and some type of absorbent material. Um, I think there's some YouTube videos out there of, of people making weed wipers on their own. Awesome. But uh, it's a really neat concept. Well, that's great. Now, that I, I'd say we have uh, clover covered there. Um, that's great. That's awesome. Uh, what What other common questions do you get? What would you say is the next the next top question you get? Hmm. Um, this is kind of off topic, but I I get a lot of questions being a tree guy. Uh, what do I need to do around? You know, so I just say I planted some. Uh, Hmm, I planted some chestnuts. That's a popular sure. tree. But just about anything, um, if you can keep it clean around those trees for about the first three to four years, um, it, it's amazing the difference in the growth rate. 
Um, and so whether you're using uh, a herbicide like glyphosate, um, I try to keep about a three-foot radius around each seedling clean during the growing season. And then in the winter, fall and winter, I like weeds growing around it to kind of heal the soil a little bit. So, you know, you got your clover, your cereal grains popping up all around them. And then sometime in turkey season, clean that up uh, just with a simple spray of glyphosate. Um, if you don't have tree tubes, uh, some people will get a piece of cardboard and they'll walk a little circle around their tree while they're spraying. Um, and then you can put some mulch on top of that. Uh, that's a that's a common question. Um, soybeans, uh, you know, now everybody's planting. Well, there's some conventional soybeans out there now, but most people are going with, uh, you know, the glyphosate tolerant soybeans. Um, and uh, that a lot of folks are thinking uh, I can clean up these fields by by growing a Roundup Ready crop on them for a few years or or a couple of years, um, and it is a good way to to clean up a field. Um, and so that's another common question, and it's it's easy to answer. You know, grow some Roundup Ready beans, and uh, that'll help you knock back some of your problematic weeds. And then you can come back with something like cowpeas uh, that are not glyphosate tolerant. But, uh, yeah, one of the main questions I get is just, can I spray Roundup over this? And most of the time the answer is no. <laughs> but um, right. let's see. Uh, those those yeah. are some of the main ones, you know, summer, okay. summer food plots. And then a lot of these blends, they can't. You know, they, you may have a broadleaf mixed with a grass. Um, so just say you're mixing sorghum and sunflowers and some type of cowpea. You you really can't spray anything over that. Um, and I think bassagran yeah. may work, but it only covers a very small group of weeds. It's most most of the time going to be insignificant. But uh, in that scenario, gosh. Just let it do its thing. Yeah. There's a lot of good, We, you know, we use the word weed so frequently, and, and I think it can become a bad word because a lot of these weeds are good for the wildlife. Um, and so I, I love having really clean food plots, but I also love having little openings that are weedy. Uh, ragweeds, I mean, there's tons of good stuff that uh, all of our feathered and furry friends love, including pollinators and things like that. So yep. um, that's that's definitely a consideration is uh, have some really clean fields where you're just really pouring the protein to them, you know, big old bean field. But some, you can just let them fallow and have good, or, or even plant some stuff like ragweed and, and just mix the different different types of broad leaves and grasses together, or just run a disc through it and see what comes up. But uh, I just I, I like to I like to bring that up is that you don't every single opening you have doesn't have to be a perfectly weed free clean field. Um, and I, I'm kind of seeing a movement towards that lately. Sure. Uh, a lot of folks are talking about that. 
Yeah, I think uh, if Dr. Craig Harper was here, he probably wouldn't even say weeds, right? It'd be herbaceous vegetation. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and he's kind of he's kind of been the forerunner with that uh, among all the professors that we, we follow. They're all they're all our teachers. I, I didn't go to UT, but he's he's definitely one of my teachers. <laughs> oh, same here. Same here. I think uh, I think what you mentioned there about people asking a lot of questions about Roundup or, or glyphosate. So selective versus non-selective. Let's hit that basic question quick because mm-hmm. I know I know maybe we know and maybe a lot of the listeners know, but we get tons of new listeners every episode. So I want, maybe let's cover that, what the difference is, yeah. and uh, then we'll keep yeah. going. Yeah, so non-selective, it, it's, it, it will kill anything. Or will try to. So Roundup is the commonly known trade name, um, and its active ingredient is glyphosate. So it can kill a grass, you know, a monocot. The veins in the leaves don't touch each other. They just go straight up. Um, and it can kill broadleaves where the, the leaf venation can touch, um, but they generally, I mean, it's... A broad leaf is a big leaf. You know, a grass is a long, narrow leaf. And but you you also have sedges that are technically not grasses. Uh, but it it can get confusing there. But so a selective herbicide, uh, clethodim, is probably the most widely known and used uh, among food plotters. Um, it only kills grasses, but it's not going to kill your broad leaves. It's not going to kill. Uh, ragweed or greenbrier or oaks or I'm sitting here looking out the window trying to see more broadly. <laughs> but, uh, you know, um, and then, and then you, you have broadleaf selective herbicides that, that only kill the broadleaves but don't kill the grasses. Uh, 2,4-D is probably the most common one. Uh, triclopyr, uh, is another yep. common. Uh, and it's really good for broadleaves that have waxy leaves. It's good at breaking through that waxy cuticle. Oh, um, great tip. And it's also good at, you know, woody vegetation. You can mix it with a type of oil and spray it on the bark of like a, uh, just say you're wanting to get rid of an elm or something. You can get you some triclopyr, mix it about 25% triclopyr, 75% diesel. Spray it, uh, I say make it look like a buck rub. You just kind of spray one side of a small sapling um, and move on to the next one. And you come back a year later and it'll be standing there dead. Uh, and then you've got herbicides that are weak on legumes. So things like uh, clover or soybeans. Um, you know, you, there's uh, arsenal, amazapir is kind of weak on legumes. Um, that's also commonly used in, in the forestry sector, uh, but that may be a good one. Um, I've always thought a cool management tool would be to go, uh, just say you've got a long fire lane or just a, 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 a road in the woods. You could spray one side with something that gets rid of broad leaves, and you can have grasses over there. Um, and then the other side, you could get rid of your grasses and just have broad leaves. Um, so that that may be a good scenario to to try to create some cool habitat by having varying 
cover types on either side of the road. That's a great idea because uh, we all know that diversity is, is king and and getting away from that monoculture. So you can put one on one side and one on the other and just observe it and take notes and, and watch the deer and, and wildlife and see what they're using, what they're not using. Um, good way to right. combine combine it with some fire, you know. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, I think um, you just reminded me we have a – a herbicide quick reference guide that we kind of put together. My friend Al James, he's on here a few times using Keystone Pest Solutions information. We put together a herbicide quick reference guide on on HabitatPodcast.com. And I think um, another just a good, you know, to your point, understand the species you need to target and then start Googling and looking up information on what kills that and, and then – you got to worry about sometimes residuals, right? Can you tell us about sure. what that means and 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 how? Yeah. So, um, well, we we haven't really gotten into that yet. We mentioned it uh, pre-emergence versus post-emergence, um, and those can have a residual, uh, or I like to use the phrase soil active. They can be right. a soil active herbicide. So um, let me think of one. Well, arsenal. We just mentioned that imazapir. Um, it's it's great for creating habitat. Uh, it's weak on legumes. Um, it's also used in the forestry sector, but it it is soil active. Um, oust is another soil active. It's it's commonly used with uh, getting native warm season grasses going. Um, but um, and it. And it can also depend on the structure of the soil. So just say you've got a, a, a sandy soil with really thick, you know, bigger bigger grains of soil. Um, it may not last as long there, but if you've got a heavy clay, its residual may last longer with certain herbicides. Um, and so glyphosate... For example, it it does it is not soil it is not soil active. So, if you contact uh, photosynthesizing plant matter, you know the green part of the plant, or even a young stem that's still green, it it will damage the plant. But if it gets on the soil and a seed sprouts, it's not supposed to affect that. I know we kind of hit on that earlier with some. Uh, or somebody mentioned they think it does, but um, it's not supposed to. Um, but, yeah, and so there's also herbicides uh, called pre-emergent or pre-plant incorporated where uh, just say you're trying to get some, let's say you want to plant some iron and clay cow peas, some good summer food. Um, you can spray something like, Triflan, which the active ingredient is trifluralin. Um, you spray that, and then you disc it into the soil, and then you plant your beans and cultipack them or drill them or however you're going to do it. Um, and then when a weed seed sprouts, it automatically kills it. And so that would be a pre-emergent, but it's also soil active. So uh, the thing with that, uh, that can be concerning is if you want to come behind that in the fall and, and just say you want to grow a crop of wheat 
You may not be able to. You may have to grow a brassica. So back to the label again and how important they are. Uh, when you're dealing with with pre-emergence or, or soil-active herbicides, you need to know what you can and can't plant behind them. But, uh, yeah, question on, that's on a whole other class. Yeah, no, yeah. I hear you. I hear you. And and we might have to get to that, uh, you know, at another time. Um, with, a, with a pre-emergent, if you use too much, if you glug, glug, glug instead of one glug, uh, will that prolong the residual or soil active time? Or is yeah, it still... Yeah, so um, it, it, it very well can, and, and you can start killing stuff. So um, I'll admit to a mistake I made a long time ago. I planted, uh, I think it was about a long, it was a long row of about 40 trees. Um, and I was all excited. I had it all hipped up, and it was just perfect growing conditions. And uh, I mixed up some oust in a backpack sprayer, oust XP, um, and uh, was going to spray. And that's a, uh, it's a soil-active herbicide, uh, so it can kill, you know, other, like, hardwood seedlings that may pop up around your trees and other weeds. I, I just band sprayed the whole row, so I just did about a two-foot-wide swath all the way down the whole row of trees. And I came back about a month later, and the first, oh, I'd say three-quarters of them were dead, and the last ones were okay. I forgot to shake. I forgot to agitate the spray rig as I was working. And, I, you know, it was just a backpack sprayer. And uh, so it, it put it out way too strong, and uh, it was strong enough to kill my trees. Wow. Yeah. So, so you're, you're saying learn, the, 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 sorry, the, the first three-quarter of your trees that you were getting pure herbicide, not as much water yeah. mixed in, and got it, got it. Yeah, so the house was all at the bottom of the tank because I didn't agitate it enough or agitate it while I was working. And uh, so from that point on, I usually just use glyphosate when I'm spraying around trees. It's really easy to do. You may have to come back again. Uh, I usually spray it once in the spring and again in the summer. Uh, but uh, it just um, it works better for me. I'm, I'm not a huge uh, pre-emergence to me just it's uh i may change my mind i you know like just say i did a pre-emerge on my cowpeas well, what if i decide to plant something in the fall behind that and i can't because i used a pre-emerge mm-hmm. um, they have their place but uh i don't know i've just kind of kind of gotten to where i don't use them nearly as much as i used to for that very reason, because they can <laughs> they can stay in the soil longer than you want them to. Yeah, um, there's a guy on Instagram who commented this afternoon. Don't use Tordon on tough to kill weeds, thistles, thorn bushes, if they are under a tree that you don't want to die. It leaches through the ground, <laughs> and the tree's roots take in the chemical. So. Yeah. Apparently there's a couple guys out so, there, you and him, that know about this. <laughs> yeah. I don't, 
I'm not looking at my computer, and I'm always scared I'm going to be wrong. But uh, I think Torhan has picloram in it, which is a, a very soil-active herbicide, and it also can move in the soil. So if you're on a slope, it's 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 good at sliding down the hill. Um, and there, you know, if you're trying to fight fire with fire, which is what I like to talk about with invasives you know there's certain invasives where picloram works really well with but i would just i would rather not i, I usually don't even go there with with, with stuff like tornado but because of that reason no this yeah. is this is gold information dud i mean you know not having to go that deep into the, the herbicide world, maybe just playing it safe, if you can call it that, by using something a little less soil active or I mean that's that's good information. I'm I'm wondering on some frost seeded switchgrass I did this year, I sprayed simazine down prior to uh you know as a pre emergent and I, mm-hmm. I think I mixed it a little heavy and I'm not sure whether that's the reason or the kind of the cold wet spring we've had where my germ rate is not very great on yet so far and I know everybody says wait till year three before you start worrying about it but <laughs> it's just that I yeah. not, that could be an issue I didn't know that yeah I think um I'm not good at pronunciation simazine simazine um yes that's maybe pretty simazine, commonly yeah. used with switch and switches okay it's tough. It's tough. <laughs> I bet you're. I bet you're okay. But okay. Uh, it. Uh, I think. Uh, and and native grasses can get confusing too, especially when you start mixing them together, like big blue with switch. Uh, but I bet you'll. I bet you'll end up being fine there. Okay. Yeah. I, I would say it was probably more the the odd spring we had than than the herbicide. Okay. Well, that's that's reassuring. I feel better. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, I get that call all the time. We sell native grasses, and uh, you just have to be patient. And I, I, I remind everybody when they're getting them, you know, you might get down on hands and knees, you're one, and, and not find a whole lot. And you might get discouraged, but be patient. That's great. And one one quick uh, thing I want to hit here. Um, you mentioned water conditioning and surfactants. Um, why do you want to condition your water prior to to spraying? If I mean, and what kind of water are you conditioning? Hard water. Well, let's just say. Let me start by saying that I'm not a chemist and sure. I don't speak in that lingo very well. But I I think I'm pretty good at. Uh, explaining that because not too many people are chemists either but uh so you got your ions and your anions i kind of think of it like magnets so you uh you pour this water in the tank you're not it came out of the ground you know you could be in florida you could be in georgia you could be in arkansas it might be hard or soft i really don't even know what that is but what I do know is that when you pour a herbicide into a tank of water, uh, the active ingredient, the part, the parts of your herbicide that do the work, 
can bind with particles in your water, and they can, uh, a lot of people use the word fall out or, or kind of become inactive or, or become bound. They can bind up just like, you know, magnets and, and metal. Um, and so it's important to condition your water, and you can, you add salt, you know, water conditioners to your water to keep that from happening. Um, I remember uh, we've got a spot uh, kind of near the office. We've got a lease, uh, and there's a well there. And um, we mixed up some glyphosate to do a, a burn down prior to our fall planting, and it started raining. And so it was all in the tank, but we, you know, had to come back, and we didn't. We came back about oh five or six days later, and we sprayed. And we did. It didn't burn down very well at all. And I attribute that to not using the right water and not using a, a water conditioner first. And uh, surfactants help, but even more so, having that ammonium sulfate in the tank helps a lot too. And you can buy a surfactant that has ammonium sulfate in it. Um, and you put that in the in the water before you add your herbicide, and it will it will not only make it work a lot better and a lot quicker, but if for some crazy reason you have to leave and come back three or four days later, it's still going to work really well. It's not going to peter out, uh, but it absolutely will if you're pumping from a crease or. You know, pumping from a well that's either soft or hard, you, you need to add that stuff to your water just to be safe. It's it's cheap and it, it's a no brainer to do it. Okay. Yeah, there was um oh I cannot remember, darn it. My friend Al sent me a a study that was done on that and it was eye opening to how much effectiveness you can lose without conditioning your water. Um Ex- there's some substantial numbers behind not doing it. Oh, no, no. Uh, I'll try to, try to figure that out. It's pretty um, impressive. And then a, a surfactant. What type of surfactants are you using? Go ahead. Um, I usually just use that 80-20 non-ionic surfactant um, that's readily available anywhere. You can buy surfactants that already have the ammonium sulfate in it, which is a source of nitrogen. Uh, we call it AM, you know, the acronym is AMS. Most of the time when you go to the co-op and you ask for, we still say, we still use the phrase ammonium nitrate, but you really can't find that anymore. If you were to look at the bottom of the bag, it's usually going to be ammonium sulfate. But they make what's called a spray grade ammonium sulfate that dissolves a lot more readily in your tank. Uh, if you were to just get a bag of ammonium sulfate at the co-op for your food plot and were trying to dissolve it in your tank, you'd see a lot of what looks like looks like gray gravel in the bottom of your tank. It never melts. It just precipitates to the bottom. And so you've got to get that spray grade. And so, one, it's treating your water, and two, it's going to make those plants happier to where they can soak up that that herbicide better. Makes sense. 
makes sense. I have a, a listener question mm. for you here. Um, okay. Does vinegar, dish soap, and water really work at suppressing weeds? I love. I, okay, I'm glad we got that question. Um, and it apparently does. We've we've seen a lot of pictures of that on the internet where people mix that together and spray. One, I I think it's probably pretty expensive if you were to do that over a large area. Um, I'm far. I'm not an anti-herbicide person. Um, I I would in time like to use less and less of it and and uh, try to get better at using other management practices. But I think as long as you follow the label and wear the PPE um, and you're using it where it's needed, uh, like I said, to fight fire with fire, you've got an invasive plant coming up in your clover. Maybe you got some Bermuda. you got to get it out of there. It's not supposed to be there to begin with. But I think you can do more damage to your soil putting a bunch of salt and dawn and vinegar out than just using a properly designed herbicide. Sure. Does that make sense? Uh, uh, and it, once again, it works. But, uh, gosh, I don't want to dump a bunch of soap and salt and vinegar out in, on my dirt. <laughs> that uh, makes sense. So I'm, I'm glad you – That's me. That's my opinion. Yeah, no, and we appreciate the, the questions, um, and I think that, you know, as you said on on your podcast about it, you know, these are all safe, safe things for the most part. You know, you want to, as long as you're you're wearing your protective equipment, you're, you know, you're filling below your eye level. You guys mentioned that's a great tip. I mean, it's all yeah. safe stuff, and and we we all want to use it less and less, but um, sometimes it's a very effective way to keep things the way they need to be kept for your goals. Sure. I would say I would reserve something like that if you've got weeds growing in the cracks in your driveway. Yeah, go for that. But I don't want to spray that over a vast expanse of soil at my farm. You know, a bunch of salt and vinegar and soap. Uh, you might could kill some, you know, uh, earthworms or, you know, something like that doing that. Sure. Sure. Well, Dud, that, that's been a great amount of information so far. I want to be respectful of your time because I know you got some fish to catch tonight. Um, <laughs> I, I'd love to have you back on sometime in the future, and, and I, want to, I want to ask you uh, one more question and then let you plug all your business and, and stuff as well. Um, so please do that. Uh, but we, we always like to ask our, our guests, Got some pretty interesting responses from this question. You being guy at Native Nurseries from Mossy Oak probably have a really good answer. Um, what is your favorite tree? Okay. Your favorite tree? Oh man, that's a, that changes. You know, I'm, I'm <laughs> such a tree nerd. Uh, that changes all the time. Okay. Uh, my current favorite tree is red mulberry, the native red mulberry Morris rubra. Wow. Um, it's a new one for us. I've always been an oak nerd. Oaks are in my heart. If I I don't have a tattoo, if I ever got a tattoo, it'd probably be oak related. But uh man, those red mulberries, they grow so fast. Uh they make fruits at a young age. Um they're good to eat. Um 
we uh, we had a listener or just one of our friends send in a photo or a video, game camera video of turkeys like just he planted them like four years ago, and you just turkeys jumping up in them and, and getting all the fruits, and they ripen uh, in the south usually starting in late April and early May. Um, and then further, you know, as you go north, they ripen a little bit later. But, uh, yeah, red mulberry right now. Uh, Chickasaw plum is probably a close second. Wow. Great answer. Great answer. That's uh, Especially with the declining mm. turkey population that we're hearing about and seeing, that's something you can do for your turkeys. So, very cool. And I, I will say they're also dioecious like persimmon. Uh, so you've got male and female plants. But uh, we used to say cut the male, cut all but a couple of males down because you don't need those, but they're good for pollinators. So I like to leave them up. But uh, mulberries are pretty cool. You can root them too. So if you find one that you really like, uh, you can kind of root them like a fig or a willow. You just stick it in the dirt and it'll grow, grow its own roots. Easy peasy. You don't use any rooting hormone or, or anything like that. You just shove them and keep going. You can, you can. That will help them even more. But uh, okay. they they root pretty easily either way. Awesome. And that uh, that's that's the coolest question ever. What's your favorite tree? <laughs> By the way, I'm glad you like it. It seems pretty simple, but we you wouldn't believe all the answers that we get that go. For, I mean, oak oak is a real popular one. Um, right. Understandably, but. You should you should hear some of the other ones, and it's just it's a good question. So I, I appreciate you you answering that and um, and your time today. It's been it's been awesome, and I'd really like to have you plug your your podcast again and your website and how people can can find you. Yeah, so um, we we have our own podcast. It's the Gamekeeper Podcast. You can you know just type it into Spotify or, or whichever podcast listening avenue you take um and then uh our tree nursery is native nurseries.com and that's native without the e on the end our clever little marketing scheme there uh and if you if you uh, want to get some food plot seed plantbiologic.com um and we started a new little fun business called the gamekeeper butchery uh you can get uh Different wild game meats online. Uh, wow! Everything from uh, sausages to whole alligators to whatever you're looking for. Wow! Well, that is uh, awesome. Um, and and thanks for thanks for plugging all that. The listeners, I'm sure, are going to go check that out. So awesome. And uh, Jared, I I just had a good time talking to you guys today. Now let's let's definitely do it again. Thank you very much, Dud. I will say the exact same. It's been my pleasure, and uh, keep in touch. Awesome. Well, until next time. Thank you so much, listeners, for coming and listening once again to the Habitat Podcast. We really appreciate it. If you could, please do us a favor. Leave us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast. If you type out something nice, I will send you a free Habitat podcast decal. If you haven't 
been to our website, habitatpodcast.com. We have our habitat property consultation services on there under the land plan tab. Check out our HP land plans there. We also have hats, t-shirts, and decals up at habitatpodcast.com. Of course, all of our podcast episodes. And then we have a new Habitat Podcast journal where you can learn about deer anatomy and some cool thoughts, um, you know, more of a blog post from us every now and then. We'd really love it if you went over to our Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, found the Habitat Podcast, and please subscribe. That really helps us. And thank you very much to our sponsors. We have Michigan Whitetail Pursuit, Packer Max Cultipackers, Huntwise, Killer Food Plots, Realtree United Country Land Pro, Lake States Realty and Auction, and Morse Nursery. Thank you so much, guys, for tuning in once again. Get back with us soon. We're going to have another great episode for you as we become better habitat managers.